This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. We were broadcasting live from Expo City Dubai. So something of a property special about buying in, investing in and living in this vibrant part of town. The experts were on hand to answer your questions. Plus, we turned our attentions to Wills with the author of a new book and a legal expert. What do you need to know? How much will it cost you? And why do we shy away from this topic? And women's health, one expert saying she believes women are being gaslit, not getting the time, the diagnosis, the treatment that they need, and meeting the inspirational woman behind a company that gives children in need the birthday parties they deserve. All right, time to put your, uh, put your honest hat on here. Do you have a will? Judging by the text line, I've been asking for a quick thumbs up or thumbs down. Do you have a will? It's about 50-50, to be honest. Why are we talking about this? Well, we're literally writing the book on it. Uh, Maria Zhu is with us today. She's written the will book. And we've also got Mohammed Alambabi with us, the uh, legal director um, in Noble IP. Was we talk about getting a will sorted. Maria, I just want to say congratulations on the book. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. And uh, Mohammed, you ready for a busy afternoon? Yeah, pretty much. Are you sure? Because yeah. <laughs> as I said, I think this is a topic that a lot of people understandably shy away from. We don't like thinking about our demise. We don't like to think about what life could be like after not around. And I think as a result of that, an awful lot of people shy away from the topic. Um, Maria, tell us about why you wanted to write this book. After passing through a very painful experience, um, somebody passed away in my family, and the whole process took so long. And um, it was really painful, it was very expensive, my family members started fighting. Besides that, um, I used to work as a flight attendant for a very nice airline, and I've seen people pass away. I've seen them unexpectedly, you know, mother with children and her family expecting to go on a trip. She had a stroke. We had to land emergency. Um, I've seen uh, a gentleman also traveling with his friend, having a heart attack. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? Like, we don't want to talk about these things. Mm, we, we take it for granted, you know. And the unfortunate thing is, is when we don't face up to this, then often you have family and friends who are dealing with the grieving process while also trying to put together bits of paper and passwords and you know what did they mean by this in the back of their diary or where is everything and you know we know how painful grieving is and then you throw in confusion and uncertainty and it makes everything so much worse tell us about your mission with this book then the will book Um, It's interesting that you mentioned the grieving process because it's something that we kind of avoid. And also as a business, sometimes the funeral industries avoid, um, I mean, they take advantage of your grieving. Mm. And they're like, oh, here, this casket, uh, your mother will want that, you know? Upsell, upsell. Yeah, it's also a business. Um, The reason why I'm writing this book is because I want to have every single human to have to write their will. And not only about the material possessions, you know, in the end of the day, do you remember what your great-grandfather had? Like, we will remember for who they were. Mm-hmm. So in this will, um, what I'm trying to, to, to show to the world is that it's not only about your material positions, it's also an ethical will. So you have both templates and you can also open up to the conversation. So mm-hmm. I kind of facilitate the subject with my Mexican spies. Tell, tell us about attitude towards death in Mexico. And do you feel like that's brought a, a, a different perspective to this topic? Absolutely. Um, In Mexico, we celebrate that. Every year we have an event, we have a celebration, Dia de Muertos, a lot of people heard of it. And we just remember our loved ones, we bring them back to life and we put their favorite music, their favorite food, you know, it's it's a party. So we celebrate life. We, We don't really let them go. Whereas other societies, and I'm looking at my, my British companions, um, it's, there's still a taboo about it. We know how, I think most people will have had their family disagreements because things have been unclear in a will. 
And I think books can be an amazing tool for facilitating conversations. So Maria Zhu is with us today. You can check out thewillbook.com. We've also got Mohammed al with us today, legal director. What are some of the myths and misconceptions, do you think? What, what, what do you feel like people just don't have the information about when it comes to having a will, especially as expats? Um, for them, like most of the people have this uh, image in the back of their minds, like, okay, whatever law that, was applicable in their home country will be the one applicable to their properties here in UAE. Okay, so let's just use me as an example. It, so as it, a Brit, I'd be like, I've got a will in the UK, so everything's fine. Exactly, but okay. it, that's not the case. If you have a property in here, if you have any movables, any type of assets in the UAE, the Sharia law will be the law applicable if you don't have a registered will. Okay. And that's where the disputes come from, like mainly. We've had a message here going, three kids, no UAE assets, South African. Do we need a UAE will? Um, a message here saying, do you need a will if your husband is Muslim? Um, what if I need to change some details? Is the provision for the same or do I have to make a new one? That's from Rajiv on the text line. We are very much here to help between now and five o'clock. And honestly, please do reach out. Great chance to pick the brains of a legal expert. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. It is your legal clinic between now and five o'clock and we've got Maria Zhu, the author of The Will Book with us and joining us legal director Mohammed Alambabi who can help us out with any legal questions that you might have. Um, tell us a little bit about the reception to the book, Maria. How have people responded to it? As I said, it's a difficult topic that people don't like to address, but you're on a mission to make it easier. Absolutely. The book itself is so colorful. It's so easy to go through and it has three stages. So first of all, it's awareness. You kind of start smooth, you know, it's not like, okay, let's talk about death just like that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's smooth process. It's, uh, it's quite accepted because it's not like a boring document that you go through and like, like oh, I want to avoid it. It's something that you can read easily, having your cup of tea during the weekend, you know, it's, 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 it's it's quite uh, accepted, actually. I think as, as couples, we often don't talk about the big issues until it's too late, whether that is, I don't know, attitudes towards money or having children. And then certainly, of course, as that relationship develops, what will happen, you know, should, should the worst happen? Is, is this part of your mission then to make the conversation a bit more palatable? Absolutely. All of us know somebody who has passed through this painful process every single day in the news. We see road uh, accidents. We see uh, early heart attacks. The rate of heart attacks amongst uh, young people, 30-year-old, 50-year-old, is uh, increasing, especially in the UAE. We have statistics. We have police reports. We have uh, government uh, data that prove this. And it's something that we, you know, just open ourselves to the conversation. Oh, there's this new book that is talking about something in a positive way. It's, it's a completely new approach. Right. Well, we've had lots of questions because, as I said, I think people rarely feel empowered to reach out to a lawyer, worry about the fees, worry that it might be an obvious answer to a silly question. Um, a message here for you, Mohammed, saying three kids, no UAE assets. With South African, do we need a UAE will? As long as you don't have any assets in the UAE, you don't need to register one. It's only for the sake of the properties that you have within the UAE or any assets that you have in here. What about, what about like, I mean, a car, for example? A car is, is considered an asset itself. So if you have a car and you're like wondering how it will be distributed after... What about bank accounts? Same goes for it. Any so, kind of so money. What, what, what I'm really getting at is most people have UAE assets, even if they don't think so. Exactly. So when it comes to bank accounts, also it gets freezed. It's like if you don't have a will, it will be frozen. Tell their Sharia law will be applied and based on the uh, UAE laws and regulations, and then it will be distributed later on. So that's that's where the will comes in. It just with the fact that now you know how to distribute your money, how it will be divided. If you want to get this this part to this person, you need to determine who will take which percentage. So that's how it works. But if you left everything as is, everything will be put on hold. No one will be responsible for your assets. Till a judgment is it should, and based on this judgment, it will be mostly on the Sharia law. Can so, you yeah. explain a little bit about, we've had a number of messages about mixed marriages. <laughs> so uh, non-Muslim wife, Muslim husband saying, you know, is it worth getting a will? You know, can Muslims have a will? Can you explain what happens with Sharia law? Yeah. For Muslims, they can't have a will because it will be distributed in accordance to the Sharia law. Uh, 
For non-Muslims, they are the only ones who are entitled to get uh, a will registered. So in the case of she's married to a Muslim, for, for him, for his properties, anything related to him, it will be distributed in accordance to Sharia. But for her properties, if she owns something under her own name, mm-hmm. she can have a will and it can be distributed based on that. Okay. All right. This is this is good information. Um, Maria, we've had a question and I said to you off air, I'm not sure if you'll be able to help here. It was someone asking, this is Lillian, saying, I don't know if this is a silly question, but how can we make sure our dogs are taken care of um, should we pass? Is it a case of getting a guardianship document? Is this something that you've, you're aware of? Absolutely. Dogs are important. And nowadays people are having less and less children, more and more dogs, more cats. And in my book, there is 100% sure that this topic is covered now. Um, Also for that parent that was asking about their children, you know, you might not have a will for your possessions, but you want to ensure that you have a guardian for your kids and that you appoint somebody because we never know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in terms of the eyes of the Lord, you can take care of dogs as well? You can take care of dogs as well like well the well everything can be included even the guardianship like when it comes to dogs cats any type of pets and then when it comes to children if you want to determine who will take care of the children themselves you can include that to the well too because that will make the process way easier and way faster than waiting till a judgment is like issued because it's not automated the fact that the children will be looked after if 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 you are the father you're not it's it's not going to be directly you who take care of them, or if you're the wife, it it doesn't like go along automatically this way. So that's why having someone added in your will, like at a specific person who will be taking the guardianship, is almost always better. Joining us now is Maria Zhu. She has written the will book, and you can find out more at thewillbook.com. A really practical, hands-on guide to getting your heart around something that will face us all whether we like it or not and Mohammed El with us today legal director and noble IP global professional services so they're offering legal prosecution services research analytics and more and it is busy on the text line so a lot of questions about Muslims having wills um, in fact a question here from Layla saying I want to know if a Muslim expat Indian couple they want to write a will and not have their wealth distributed as Sharia law. Is it possible, or is that by force? It's not possible for Muslims. So the register, so the registry for wills itself is applicable for non-Muslims only. So when it comes to Muslims, it will be distributed in accordance to Sharia. And when we're talking about in accordance to Sharia, what does that actually mean, or can that depend even family to family? It, it depends from family to family because, like, the basics are there. But tell me, get, tell me the basics. Well, <laughs> well, you can see, like, for um, if you have one son and two daughters, so a son gets twice what a daughter can get. Then you have what you the percentage for your wife, but the percentages they differ from a situation to another. If you don't have um, a male son, you don't have like um, then the percentage will differ. Then if you don't have a male, then your mother will take a part, your father will take a part. Then if they are passed away, it will go to your cousins so yeah it's it's comp- it's a yeah base on base one it's so, a lot going on so exactly but it's familiar with muslims they mm-hmm. know like how it's distributed regularly but if you need you need to get an exact estimate of how it will go it's a one-on-one case um, maria when it comes to different expats nationalities cultures are there any that are particularly vulnerable and perhaps really should have a will in place every single expat, expat living in dubai is vulnerable and can be affected by not having a will. Why? Because of the Sharia law. Now, this law is very, very different than your country back home. Here, for example, if I am married, but I'm separated from my husband, if I die today, things are gonna go to my husband, even if I don't like him anymore, you know, and this is not good for anybody. So all of you ladies listening, check your situation. All the expats must check this out. Also children, pets if you have this or if you have your property and you don't have a will if you're an expat and you don't have a will you're absolutely at risk if you open your business in dubai as well if you have a lamborghini if you have lions a yacht and you have a crypto business anything that you have done that you didn't have a will if something happened to you good luck with the sharia law amigos okay now non-muslims I had a message here saying, quickest way of making and registering a will in Dubai, both non-Muslims. So through DIFC, 
It can be done separately. You can do it on your own. Or if it's more complicated and you don't know how to evaluate the assets, if you need to have a plan, of how, if you have companies, multiple companies, you need advice on how, to, how it will go after, you, after that. So when it gets into details, the more complicated mm -hmm. your shares or your assets are, it's better to get to a lawyer to get things settled for you. But if it's straightforward, well, you can do it yourself and you can go and register it right away. Can we talk about costs, Maria? Because I feel like that's a, a big barrier to a lot of people perhaps getting a will because, you know, we see numbers around, like it's 15,000 dirhams for a mirror will at DIFC. I don't know many people that can go, oh, okay, we'll just, you know, put our hand in a pocket for 15 grand. And I think that, as much as they know they should have a will in place, is a huge reason why so many people don't. Once we have the information, everything else will come so easy because knowledge is power. If you don't know something, people will come from all directions trying to take your money, telling you that you need to do this, you need to do that. That's why I wrote this book. In the will book, you're going to find all kinds of information, step by step, how to do this. Now, once you have this book, you're like, oh, it's easy that I thought. So, yes, you can register one will. You can pay from 5,000 dirhams, in, uh, for example, in the... Um, Abu Dhabi court, so you can also do it here in the IFC. You can pay also for uh, up to 15,000 dirhams for mirror wills, but also if you have more assets, if you have uh, five wives or some family members fighting, then you need a lawyer definitely, or mm -hmm. intellectual property. This is something really interesting as well. You might be single, you might not have kids, but you have a business, you have something to protect your projects, your plans, your work, so you definitely need to protect this. Nelson Mohammed, mm -hmm. uh, he can probably talk about this. So the business side is an interesting one when you get that into the mix as well. Because as you say, a lot of families will be very straightforward. But if you've got multiple businesses, you've got assets internationally, you probably do need a bit more kind of one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but I want to come back to the cost, if that's okay, because and I'm being a massive hypocrite here because I'm talking here about the importance of having a will. We've got a will in the UK. We haven't got one here despite obviously having children and assets here. Um, but I guess it's presumably more expensive to not have a will long term. Exactly. If, if you look at it from this perspective, like the time yet that you will spend with lawyers, the time of the amount of money that you will spend for like consultancy, then you'll have to translate a lot of documents. If you're going to get like more of proof of ownership for other assets and all this, it, just going through the process itself, it's going to... Headache, heartache, exactly. financial ache. And especially in, on times like this, it's it's not the best thing to have around. Yeah. I, when my husband and I went, we went away to a wedding a few years ago and the night before I had the biggest freak out. I was crying, being like, you know, what if, our, you know, the car crashes and we both die and the children are staying with their godmother and their friend and, you know, we've got nothing in place. So we now have the death drawer. <laughs> Right. And in the death drawer, we've got a document which is where this account is here, this password is there, uh, this is the will, this is a solicitor in the UK, da, da 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 And I have to say, even having that in place has made me feel a lot better. Um, so it's a grim name, I know, and no one likes to think about death admin, but we're, we know, we're grown-ups, we need to get onto it. But what I wanted to ask you is something that's in the book, which is about turning sad feelings into incredible outcomes opportunities with our will, Maria? Is this something that you've seen people enjoy almost to an extent? Yes, you can have fun with your will, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely do something amazing for those you love. For example, if you are married and love your wife, you can make sure that certain flower arrangements will arrive every single birthday, for example. Or you can uh, manage to leave all your possessions to those children who need you or like you know you can still do something after your life and in the end of the day if we die today and we don't do something we're just gonna go to the cemetery with 30 years gone to nowhere you know like we have to make sure that we do fun stuff as well for example i can say you know what instead of funeral i want you guys to throw a party or yeah. to go on a trip here's the playlist <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, my, I'm, my, you can my, plan your funeral. My yes. mum has, has she, she's got um, the song, If You Don't Know Me By Now, on her funeral playlist. <laughs> you will you. never, never know me. <laughs> so it's an opportunity. Um, I've had a lot of people asking for details of the book. Where and where can we get it? It's the will thewillbook.com. So send me the word will and I'll send you the link. But if anyone wants to get their hands on it, Maria, how are you, how are you distributing it around the UAE? Just uh, go on the website. You are able to purchase it there. It's only 99 dirhams. Um, today we have a special code, which is expat2024 to get 20%. 
and uh, it's not even launched yet. Oh, my book! So, <laughs> well, so well, you can you purchase can, it already. So it's the the tagline is celebrate life after death, save thousands on lawyers' fees. Sorry, Mohammed, <laughs> and years of family battles. And I say this from personal experience. We've had some pretty significant fallouts in our family because things weren't handled well. I think being proactive is absolutely crucial um so if you want to send me the word will you can do that on 4001 no questions asked no name needed i will send you the link Mohammed, thank you so much for your time maria congratulations on the book thank you it sounds like i was gonna say a life's work but you know what i mean but it's clearly a real passion from you that's been born out of well your own circumstances but also wanting people to have a better experience as well so i think it's a really noble project so thank you thank you the what you're missing on your will it's the willbook.com It is day one of Arab Health. We're going to be catching up with Andrew Hosey tomorrow and indeed Wednesday. In the meantime, though, we're talking women's health and joining us live as we broadcast from the fantastic Expo City Dubai, Christina Yanodis. She is the CEO of Aquitude, an award-winning international motivating speaker. She's a transformation coach, an author and a health coach. And she says that women are being gaslit in health matters, that women's health is not being served. And ultimately, we'll be sharing between now and half past what women can do about it. I find this such a fascinating topic because it's been so overlooked for so long. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind by starting, Christina, about why do you feel that uh, women's health is under-researched, mm. underfunded? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. And uh, the question around uh, being underfunded. Let, can we start with a few of the stats in terms of what, what has been in indicated um, in terms of diagnoses for women? There are gender-based differences. So according to Forbes, women are diagnosed later for over um, 700 diseases than men. So on average, it's 2.5 years later, uh, later than men for cancer, 4.5 years later than men for diabetes. And when we're talking about you know, chronic illnesses and potentially life-ending illnesses, it really can be a difference between life and death when we're talking about the importance of early detection in cancers in particular. Absolutely. So w when you, going back to your question, why is it underfunded? Actually, we are a little bit more complex than men in terms and every woman knows this <laughs> in terms of our physiology our emotional and our and our uh, mental um if you like uh, programming mm. and a lot of it has to do with our reproductive system and the power of the hormone that we all know is called estrogen so we basically the, the complexity of women's health is a big factor you know we've got a range of things like hormonal fluctuations we've got as you said reproductive health and then these life stages of puberty pregnancy for many women and then of course menopause as well mm. so is it has it historically been easier just to go well we might just ignore that part of the population and concentrate on perhaps a more simple area well it seems that the the general the general viewpoint in traditional medicine was that women were many men and so it was assumed that whatever it is whether it's trials clinical trials or interventions, medical interventions, they would work equally for women. So let me just get an understanding, sorry, Christina. So in terms of using a drug trials, for example, so you could be saying, okay, this amount of this medication would work on a man and then we'll work out proportionally based on weight and, and you know, body mass that less would be fine for a woman, not taking into account the many variables that could come into play and even how a medicine will work differently or completely not work yeah. in a woman's body. Absolutely. In fact, um, research has indicated that there was a proposal actually in 2014 where women should actually have, for example, different um, vaccines than men or different dosages of mm -hmm. vaccines. Um, but it's not actually being implemented. We've seen it recently. I'm not going to name any vaccines at the moment, but there, it is one of the realities. And the, one of the complicating factors is going back to the role of estrogen and our reproductive system, because we all women have receptors, estrogen receptors in every single organ of our bodies. And that impacts how we metabolize, how we absorb mm -hmm. um, our drugs and medicines rather than drugs and uh, ob obviously nutrients, etc. Christina, what about um, gender-based differences? Are there particular areas of medicine, any particular diseases that you think it's worth us tuning into and highlighting today? Well, number one is autoimmune conditions. So autoimmune conditions, things like lupus, endometriosis that I actually personally suffer from, um, a lot of allergies. So
Conditions impact 80% of the population, mm-hmm. but 80% of those are female. Wow. Do we know why that might be? Again, it's indicated that it's possibly got to do with our body's response because we actually have to reproduce and have um, the beautiful power of having children. Um, we tend to be, this is attributed to having a very strong immune response to protect fetuses, etc. And then presumably with great power comes great responsibility and where more things can go wrong. Exactly. Um, so when, with, when women often being shut down, I mean, talking, I, mean, I think endometriosis is a really good example of actually just how long it can take so many women to get a diagnosis. Well, sweetheart, I'm 51 mm-hmm. and I only found out five years ago. Gosh, so you were suffering, struggling for how long, before? Well, all my life. All my life I had no idea why why my menzies were so difficult, so, so, so painful. And let's not go into too much detail, but it is a very, very common symptom. And then interestingly, and I, I don't mean to make generalizations, but you are you know, a very well-educated, well-informed woman in the Western world. When we think about lack of access to information and lack of access to healthcare, the problem must be even worse in other parts of the world. Well, I'd like to think that I'm well educated. You are. You are. (laughs) But the reality is, yes, I'm one of the thousands of women that suffer from this. And so can I give you an example when we talk about lack of funding? Um, Erectile dysfunction, pardon to talk about these things. Um, There are approximately nine studies to one study for female PMS, premenstrual syndrome. Interestingly, in the UK news today, there's been a big call for action. Um, About a quarter of a million women in the UK suffering from what's been deemed as beyond severe PMT, PMDD, so, you know, a real debilitating condition for so many women. And the fact that this is on front page news, I feel like it's a step in the right direction. We're going to talk about next about the role of media, but ultimately, women listening today, what can you do to advocate for yourself? When you decide that enough is enough, that you've lived in pain and discomfort, and you've normalized it, but you've had enough, when you get to clinic, what can you do to make sure you're getting the service, the treatment, the medication that you might need? Joining us now is the CEO of Aquitude, Christina Iodonis. She is on hand as we talk about how so many women are gaslit in their healthcare, taking years longer to get a diagnosis, taking my goodness um well just being neglected um it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling to be honest to think that we're in 2024 and still having women having problems getting the help that they need um can we talk about the dreaded pandemic what did we see when it came to impact on women in particular covid and post-covid as well christina yeah this is very interesting um i've been watching this very very closely and its research shows us, and this is from Stanford, this is from Mayo Clinic, this is from the big, big um, hospitals and uh, university hospitals as well. They're seeing that 60% of long COVID sufferers are actually women. So they have either suffered the illness and they have had um, uh, issues as a result. A lot of them neurological, mm-hmm. a lot of them linked to being able to move muscle related this is why the neurological is an issue and then mental health and anxiety it's interesting i've had a message saying there's still so much taboo around women's issues which has probably contributed to a lack of open discussion and research Mm. do you think that's still the case it is and one of the questions and one of the things i always say to women women need to advocate for themselves we need to push for research so when we go to a physician and i'm not here to give by the way Uh, doctor's advice you know whatever your physician says you do when a physician however asks you to take a medicine ask them what is the data on its impact on women do you think they will have an answer for that and that's one of the questions one of the issues we don't ask the questions there is no research or Mm -hmm. there is lack of and so we need to be able to be in a position where we make ask these questions we're 51 percent of the population we have a lot of ailments that impact us another great example is um, is the issue, uh, yeah, I mentioned autoimmune conditions, I mentioned pre-menstrual, premenstrual syndrome, where over, is, I think the stats are over 80% or 90% of women in the world suffer from PMS, and there's absolutely, there's a lack of, of research on this. But, I mean, I have to say I'm very grateful that certainly out of the UK, and hopefully more mm. here in the UAE, we're seeing more discussion around menopause, which 
you know, every single woman is going to go through puberty. Yeah. Every single woman is going, going to go through menopause. But there seems to be a real focus, and, you know, rightly so, on pregnancy and, and giving birth. But menopause, until very recently, has been hugely neglected, not only in terms of conversation, but also in terms of the training that doctors are getting. Yes. Um, and it has to, seems to be a real choice for so many physicians to, to really inform themselves and go out of their way outside mm. of that traditional medical training yeah. to be able to help a, a really in-need population. Do you know that of, there was a piece of research done and of all the, the literature or the medical books out there, there was only 12% of medical books that actually dedicated to, uh, either one, para, one paragraph relating to menopause? That was it. That was it. Interestingly, on um, our um, Ion Health podcast, which is in conjunction with Arab Health, which started today, um, and Ion Health, over the weekend we were talking about femtech, which... Is, I think has really exploded mm. in in demand. So technology relating to women's health. So that can be everything from, you know, your period trackers, fertility apps, and things like that. And I think so much of that is because women want to start empowering themselves. You know, this has been a real explosion in terms of fulfilling a need, solving a problem for so many women. Is this something that you use yourself, or you feel that can be useful? Oh, absolutely. I'm a big fan of, for example, using smartwatches and glucose monitors and being on top women have to be on top of their own health because no one else is going to do it for them um can i ask you a little bit about what you would love to see um and maybe we can talk about the role of the media in particular mm. we've already kind of you know davina mccall doing a fantastic you know some great podcasts going around and as i said to to an extent here in the UAE, but what can media be doing more of and where would you like to see this conversation going? Well, I'd like it to be in media such as women's magazines that are particularly talking to the young women. So I don't want to mention names, but those uh, consumer magazines where we're talking, where, where there's so much focus on things like beauty, very little conversation around real health, health issues, you know, hardcore health. We've talked about PMS, we've talked about fertility, we've talked about reproduction, we've talked about ailments such as autoimmune conditions, endometriosis. This kind of stuff needs to be talked about in mainstream media that young women and women of a certain age like us mm -hmm. read. Uh, at the same time, the doctors and female doctors need to actually be a little bit more sensitive to how women respond to medicines and actually listen to them because we actually um, manifest pain differently to men. We feel it differently to men. The same thing with stress. So our physiology is completely different to men. So there is a, there is a, sensi a sensitization that's required, mm. which is one of the reasons why I go to Arab Health to have a look around and see, is there that gender-based um, sensitization, which unfortunately isn't quite there. What about extra reading and resources as a health coach? You know, we're completely overwhelmed with mm. information and misinformation, but where do you go? What do you trust? Look, I trust, uh, as I said, the big hospitals and the big clinics when they do um, research and studies. I trust um, certain... I, mean, I don't know if I, I, I can say... You I can name, can name names. names. Okay. There is a fantastic um, uh, neuroscientist called, called um, Lisa Mosconi, who's written The XX Brain, and she does a lot of research on women's health and brain power. Because one of the interesting things she talks about is the, la is the fact that when women go through menopause, this sets them up for neurological and, and uh, dementia and issues around brain health, including dementia and Alzheimer's. So if we 80% of women who go through menopause, if it's not treated well, mm -hmm. they get some sort of neurological or brain issue post-menopause. And also during peri and menopause, the anxiety, you know, this is, this mm. seems to be, we concentrate a lot on the, you know, the hot flushes and skin dryness and, you know, those kind of, you know, your middle-aged spread. But for the women that I know that are going through it, it's the mental side that's been the most affecting. You know, yes. insomnia and anxiety, two of the real big ones. With the women that you work with, what are you noticing? Right oh, absolutely. Now? Those are the two biggies, including, like you said, the middle age wage, uh, waste spread. Mm -hmm. I like the way you said it. Um, absolutely. And that, again, is because when our physiology changes, so we're losing estrogen, but we're actually accumulating postmenopause what's the estradiol, which then ca is, is kind of held within the adipose tissue of, of our belly. And the role of it is to hold on to fat. Mm -hmm. Great. <laughs> right. So for, we, for, for younger, these things we can do, though. Well, that's <laughs> what I want to ask you. For, you know, for women who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s um, listening today, in terms of, I don't want to say future-proofing yourself against the menopause, but I guess right, having the mi right mindset and doing everything you can um, to make sure you kind of 
sail through it as comfortably as possible. What do you wish you had known and what do you advise younger clients now, Christina? Oh, absolutely. The, the first one is what I wish I had known is that things happen without you even realizing. So these shifts are very, very, very subtle and you need to be on top of them. So it's about understanding if, for example, you're getting unexplained weight gain, immediately looking into that. Um, also, if um, looking at how you're eating and how you are behaving and, and your lifestyle issues, there's something called epigenetics. So people talk about genetics and, you know, diseases are a result of your genes. But now increasingly, and this is a new part of, of science, we're seeing that epigenetics, which is how your body can respond to various so behavioral and lifestyle um, changes can actually affect mm -hmm. your gene um, how it's how it's programmed so things like exercise things like and I know it sounds so stereotype eating healthy but <laughs> eating loads of fiber eating loads of protein yeah, anti-inflammatory food anti-inflammatory food so things that don't work for you do not consume them and that includes the unfortunate thing like alcohol. I feel like you were talking to my soul there as yes. I had my sandwich for lunch and immediately had an energy dip. So, Christina, I've had some really interesting messages saying thank you for saying this. For years, doctors told me I was crazy, but I had endometriosis. Um, lots of people saying thank you so much for this. We need more shows like these. These are sensitive topics and should be talked about. That's from Ambreen. And for anyone that does need you know, health coaching, wants to talk to somebody who perhaps isn't a doctor, but is really well informed, it can help with mindset as well as all sorts of other mm. issues. What's the best way of getting in touch with you, Christina? Well, on Instagram, if, if you can actually spell my surname, which is quite complex is christina uanidis underscore official <laughs> i'll make it even easier if you want to send me the word health i will send you the link does that sound like a good deal yes it's it, this is this is the perils of having a very complex surname distinctive but difficult would that be <laughs> absolutely and would, yes. wouldn't we all like to be described as that yes <laughs> exactly thank you so much for your time it really is totally eye-opening i think for men and women listening today and certainly for those in the medical community it is a choice to be tuning into these issues that as you say 51 percent of the population and let's just hope that in maybe in a couple of years' time, that conversation will have turned a bit of a corner. Inshallah. We love introducing you to inspirational people and speaking now to Mika Kokoe. She's a founder of Birthday Bliss and what started as a pandemic project that aimed to deliver three free birthday parties to kids in need ended up with 32 in that first month alone. Um, Mika joining us as we share how the Dubai community has come together in real life and online to help children. Mika, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Helen. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm a firm believer that so many people really want to do good, but sometimes don't know how. And I feel like yeah. what you are doing is such a beautiful example of that, but also how you're involving people who have got skills and time and a kind and open heart. But before we talk about how people can get involved, where did this idea come from? What did you recognize back in the pandemic? It was actually pandemic. Uh, we usually celebrate our children's birthday in a, uh, a charity foundation in the Philippines. And that time, the school was closed, so we weren't able to celebrate the birthday of one of my daughters. So my husband said, um, why don't we just celebrate it here in Dubai? And you can just post in any uh, uh, community. And then if someone is struggling and wanted to have a free birthday, then we can deliver three free birthdays. It was just only three. And then suddenly, when we posted in one of the community uh, there were lots of people coming over wanted to you know give some cakes and you know those balloon uh, balloons and other gifts that could be gifted to other children so the three birthdays that we wanted to give out from that June 2020 alone ended up at 32 birthdays so it all started there and um, you know that was a, a history and <laughs> you clearly tapped into something especially during the pandemic where you know people had lost their jobs there was uncertainty and the idea of spending money on a birthday party maybe seemed a, a little bit frivolous despite the fact how much we want to celebrate our children yeah, I... so how has it grown Mika tell us about birthday bliss now how many how many kids parties have you, <laughs> have you put on we have already delivered more than 5,000 birthdays and it's wow. not only in the UAE but all over the world we have touched uh, Africa and Southeast Asia as well so Gosh. we don't only celebrate the families and the children from those families that are really struggling and cannot afford to celebrate birthdays, but we have celebrated with the orphanages. 
charity schools in Africa, with the labor camps here in the UAE, those silent heroes that have built Dubai that don't even celebrate birthdays. So we do that monthly. Gosh, Miko, what an amazing thing to do. And as I said, I think an awful lot of people have got time, might have some resources. Um, so can I ask then, you said you posted initially in some groups about, you know, are you unable to have a birthday party for your child? So how do you decide who you who you help and, and what's the, I guess, the criteria for want of a better word? We actually have a Facebook group with uh, more than 5,000 members and um, we post in different communities like a call for application for free birthdays. They submit some documents to us like the proof of birthday and then uh, they let us like know their story and then from there we have a group wherein we have a team of the one who's doing the screening visiting the families to know what what do they need mm-hmm. and uh, if there is a birthday celebration we wanted the parents to get involved like we wanted them to know what are the favorite characters of these children and I want them to we want them to get involved on choosing what kind of cake or what particular gift they want so that these children every time they celebrate birthdays they will not only tell it's only the stranger who have organized it but then their families are involved the parents are involved so for them it's special yeah it's it's super special for them aside from from Christmas or from Al-Eid it's the you know it's the biggest uh, uh, celebration that they always wanted to I mean, five, celebrate. Five thousand um, members in your Facebook group now. Thousands of parties. Have there been any stories that have stood out to you? Any any children or families that you um, always think of? Yeah, I have one child during the pandemic. I went to there. I personally went to this child because the mother said if I if she could meet me personally. So I went there with my husband. And um, I met the kids. It was uh, one room in Satwa. I went there and meet the kids. And then it was just a normal, you know, meet up. And then we set up the cake. We we set up the balloons. And then we sang a happy birthday song. And after that, the the child said, the birthday celebrant said, Mom, where is Papa? And the mom said, Oh, Papa is in Abu Dhabi. He's working. So I, I thought it was just a normal conversation. So because she didn't say anything or share anything about the story of the whole family. Mm-hmm. So after that, I went out. I said, Okay, I will leave you and have a celebration by your family. And then when we left the room, the mother just cried. And told me, you know, um, Mika, I didn't tell you the story that the father is in jail. Oh, gosh. So I was shocked. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know about that. Because you just told me and submitted all the documents. And then one volunteer um, visited you and you didn't share that the father is in jail. So those are the things that we don't see behind those doors. And I think that really speaks to the fact that even if there are big struggles happening, trying to create some magic for a child, if it's for an hour or a day or a surprise or something to look forward forward to. Um, I wanted to ask about how people can get involved and I'm not talking about donating money, I'm talking about time or expertise. How how can people help who think, you know, I could actually make a difference to a child or a family's life? We actually promote uh, sustainability as well and we always encourage people and community to repurpose those toys or clothing or any gift that we could give to any uh, less privileged child. So in instead of ending up in the landfill, we always tell them you can just give it to Birthday Blaze and we will repurpose it. We have a team who is uh, wrapping it, cleaning it, sanitizing all the gifts, and then uh, gifting it to the deserving child. So instead of, you know, throwing it somewhere, mm-hmm. we can happily get it. And then we have also a team of, you know, uh, people who knows how to do the balloon decorations. So if you have the talent on that, you can easily come to us and say, hey, I want to I wanna volunteer to decorate one birthday party. And others are also bakers. Others are literally bake shops who comes to us and then tell us, oh, we want donate some cakes for the birthday celebrants so those are the simple things that we do in birthday bliss that really make made an impact to these children it's about recognition for them and with your permission if anyone's listening today and they think i would really like to help could we share your facebook page should that be okay yeah we have our facebook group which is birthday bliss uae and our instagram as well it's also birthday bliss uae mika thank you so much for coming here and sharing everything that you've been doing um 
what an amazing job it's, you do. It's really an honor because I, I told myself I will go there because I wanted to thank all the volunteers who have been with us since 2020 because they're the reason why this magic of birthday celebrations are all over UAE. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think, you know, if there's any positive to come out of the pandemic, I will take it. But, you know, to start with just wanting to make three families smile on a special day to now helping thousands all over the world. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. Well, I have to say, this is probably one of the more glamorous outside broadcasts we've ever done. We are in a show apartment here at Sky Residences. It is inside Expo City, Dubai. So Wassel Dome, just a few meters away, we've just gone past beautiful water feature, the Terra Pavilion. And this is because we are talking all things Expo City. Um, house and house with us, we've got the fantastic Paul Charland with us live until half past three to answer any questions you might have. Um, Paul, thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Helen. How are you? I'm really well. As I said, we've got floozy cookies. We've got um, golf buggies. We're in a beautiful show apartment. I know this is probably a bit of your day-to-day life looking around gorgeous gorgeous homes. It's not mine, so it's a bit of a treat. <laughs> You've been in in and out of the UAE since 2005 and my goodness I think we could only imagine what what this place could have been all those years ago and now to see it brought to life it must be incredible for you as as an industry insider on the property front. I I think that um, you know Expo City full stop it's it's extremely exciting for us you know apart from when uh, Expo was announced with uh, for Dubai um, when we look at the community now and what they're actually going to do here with the master development I mean it's such an exciting project you know it's Sheikh Mohammed's vision. When we're talking about the importance of, um, of developers here um, obviously some big names in the Dubai game and this is Expo City as a developer and I have to say obviously the quality is absolutely crazy you will be looking at things with a different eye when it comes to things coming onto the market than perhaps I might do and we're going to be talking about some of the events and activities happening happening around this space um, but when we're thinking about the stage it's at now in terms of investing in Expo City Dubai what is currently available and what do we need to know Paul? Um, I think the first thing is I mean to us you're you're you know you're investing into the future we we truly see this as a city of the future we think it's going to be the blueprint for other cities and countries around the world to, to copy you know I think only Saudi Arabia at some stage in the future will be able to come close for a long mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Um, they've got a choice here they've got uh, apartments lovely apartments they've got townhouses uh, semi-detached full villas incredible payment plan you know, and it's, it's Sheikh Mohammed. It's got Sheikh Mohammed's back in, and you know he's very, very invested in this. Can I ask? You said payment plans there. Now, for anyone that hasn't bought, such as myself, certainly off plan, um, when you're saying good payment plans, would you mind kind of breaking it down? I mean, talk to me as if I'm ten. That's okay. what I'm really asking for. <laughs> right. So, so all, all developers have different payment plans. Now, what's happened over the last three years, where the market's got so busy? is that a lot of the normal payment plans, which might have been a 40, 60, 40% during construction, like four times 10%, 60 on completion, or 30, 70 or something. And you'd be able to get that 6% from via a mortgage, presumably? Mortgage or cash, yes. Okay. Um, so if you look at EMAR now, so you know the biggest and most well-known developer, um, their payment plan now is either 80, 20, which is 80% during construction. Now, if something's not ready for four years, that's 80% of your money tied up for four years, mm-hmm. or even 90-10. Now, because it's EMAR, they will still sell out on that, on, on that payment plan. On the strength of their name. Now, when you look at Expo, which is we see as a, you know, just an incredible development, the payment plan is untouchable. So for the apartments, it's 50% during construction, and then 50% five years post-handover, interest-free. You think, you know, if that was a loan now, you'd be paying at least 5 7% a year. So mm-hmm. that's another saving. And then on the villas and townhouses, or sorry, yeah, the villas and townhouses is three years post-handover. There's no payment plan in, in Dubai that can beat it. Paul, in terms of the people that are buying, are people buying to live in them themselves or is this more of a kind of an investment market to your mind? It's, it's a complete mixture. I mean, uh, a lot of Europeans, particularly Germans, you know, they've, they've looked at, Expo in great detail and people effectively are buying here it's either for the future lifestyle it's for the investment it's it's effectively to buying into something that has never been done before which we're pretty certain they are going to do it this is going to be the most sustainable and technologically advanced city in the world 
It's interesting when we think about that idea of like a 15 minute city, which is what kind of people hold up as this goal of having, you know, school and work and home super accessible. You know, you're hopping on your scooter or you're, or you're walk, walking around. I mean, to look around Expo City Dubai now, we're already there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now it's a case of putting that residential in place. So when we're thinking about the residential opportunities, obviously there's things happening around and outside Expo City Dubai itself, but there's also things within the development itself. When we're thinking about some of the most attractive opportunities, where would you be looking? Honestly, I, I think that if you're... We, we've brought people to Expo who have said, oh, no, we wouldn't go there, that's too far out. People come here who are only used to city living, mm-hmm. like downtown or the marina. They come here, they're com- everybody, but a lot of people, they're, it's, they're com- it's completely unexpected for them. They're blown away and they say, I want part of this what have you got, and it's whatever's in their budget. And literally people are buying to just be part of Expo City, not even necessarily the particular what's the best units or what's mm-hmm. the best villa. It's just to be part of it. Can we talk about this part of town and how it's developed, certainly over the last couple of years? I mean, obviously the airport's a big draw. Can Massive. You, would you mind talking to some of the other areas that are within, you know, close close distance? Of course. So, um, so you, yeah, you're next to what's going to be the biggest airport in the world. Um, obviously, Sheikh Mohammed has already said that there will never be a flight path over Expo, in case anyone's concerned about that. Um, you've got Emar Oasis, which is Emar's new master community, which is 10, 12 minutes drive away. If you look down the map and, and go straight to sea, you're in line with Palm Jebel Ali. So this is where the future of Dubai is going. You know, you're on the road to, uh, to Abu Dhabi. I mean, if you look at a bigger map of this area, it's actually the, the central part, and we've already got the metro. That's an interesting point about Abu Dhabi. Um, have there been much interest from people yes. who... Yeah, I didn't even mention the question. Has there been interest in people who, have be, who are living... Oh, sorry, working rather in Abu Dhabi and maybe want to be between here and Dubai? Yeah, Dubai? Uh, actually, four, four of my clients are actually European, French, uh, German, uh, English, Irish, and they're all pilots in Abu Dhabi, and they've all bought in Expo because... They just like the fact that they're commutable-wise. It's fantastic. Uh, one of the one of the buyers, um, his his wife doesn't like driving, so she just thinks it's amazing. She can get the metro to the marina. She can get the mm. metro to downtown. We've got Paul Charlotte with us in the studio. I say our studio. We're here. We're in a beautiful show apartment. We've been told we're not supposed to use the show toilets. That's in the next building. <laughs> so, Paul, you have been warned. Um, but it is absolutely stunning. We're going to be talking about, we've had a couple of messages going, what's available now to move into? Is it all off plan? Message about any schools opening up. That's from Marcus and Jen. Wants to know how about access? What are the roads like? This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. And as we are broadcasting live from Expo City Dubai, that's what we're talking about today. This is an area of investment, of, well, it's the city of the future. Paul, uh, Paul Charlin's calling it, who's joining us from House and House this hour to answer your questions on 4001. Um, we're talking there about how we're going to see this big shift, obviously the airport being a big draw, Palm Jumeirah close by, Emar's new mass development close by as well. What about the jobs, Paul? Are we seeing a shift for, of companies taking an interest in Expo City? Yes, yeah, so already uh, Dubai World, they've moved their head office here, Siemens, uh, Terminus, there's more coming. Um, You've got you've got Emar Mall opening this year, which is going to service all of Expo. So, also on top of that, you've got all of the restaurants from Expo. A lot of those licenses. Well, it's really interesting. It's about the, the food point, I think, is a really interesting one because we saw, yeah, yeah. you know, out of Expo 2020 Dubai, so many places coming here and kind of testing the waters a bit on the food front. We saw bread ahead, and it had queues at the door, and it's now opened up in all the Emirates. We've had um, places really thinking this could be an interesting place to to see what the UA market's like. And then we've had new places moving into Expo City since then. So I think as a foodie hub, there's huge opportunity there as well. It's massive because there's already there's already the licenses here. So you've already got, you know, there's been places assigned for restaurants, cafes, coffee shops mm-hmm. and everything else. So that's just going to increase. You know, So when you think about it, in a couple of years' time, you can see this being a social centre. You know, you can even live in peace and serenity in your villa or townhouse or a little bit closer to the, to the action in an apartment, mm-hmm. all pedestrianised. You can just go out for a walk, get to the metro in seven-minute walk, go and have a drink, go and have a meal. Literally everything is here and there is nowhere else like it in the world. When you, you just have to come in and see it for yourself. Just, just look at Wassel Dome. I mean, it's amazing. 
Ready for the text line, sir? Go on then. Okay. Um, Federico saying, is there anything ready to move into now or is it all off plan at this stage? Uh, if, you wanted to, if you wanted to buy to live in, um, then there isn't. Um, I think there's some places to rent which were back from when they were actually holding Expo. But the, the, the new launches, which have been the apartments launched first last year, I think it was March, April, that was Mangrove Residence. Uh, so it's all off plan at the moment. And Sky Residence, where we are Sky now. Sky Residence. What, what kind of lead-in time are we talking about? Uh, we're looking handover from 2026. Okay. Um, and a message from Marcus saying, is there any sign of schools opening up around there? Uh, to give you an idea, in 2005, there were 17 international schools. Now there's 220 international schools. Oh They're building more schools than they've ever built before. And the way lists longer than they've ever been before so they would definitely be building schools supply and demand this yes more and and most families. schools are businesses so they will be building them if yeah. they think they need them and Jem saying how about access what's that like amazing well I was just about to say you Incredible. Know, we caught up with the, with the traffic earlier and it was absolutely I know we haven't got an event on as such you know today but you know, absolutely smooth sailing. They obviously had to think about volume with Expo 2020. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's, it's for a master community which isn't actually handed over with people living there properly, it's got the, mess, the best infrastructure of any master community in Dubai. I mean, eight-lane highways, eight-lane roads, interchanges. And what, what we know in Dubai is you don't go by, if somewhere's like 10 kilometres, you don't go, oh, that's 10 kilometres, because mm. that could be from all of the Emirates to downtown on a Friday evening. Yes, that's going to take, an, that could take no. an hour, hour and a half. Here, you could go 30 kilometres in 20 minutes. It's brilliant. For Abu Dhabi, for, for going towards like old Dubai, it's really, really good. Okay. Brass tax. What are we talking about, sir? To, well, I don't know. You tell me what we sort of starting at price-wise. For, to, to, to buy? Yes. Uh, sorry. Uh, right. So the apartments on a 50-50 payment plan, five years post handover, you're looking at 1.8 to 2 million for the one beds, very big units, uh, 900, 950 to 1,000 square feet. Uh, the two beds from about 2.8 to, to 3 million um, and the three beds above 4 million. And then the townhouses uh, from 4 million for a three bed. And then duets, I think, from five or six. And then the big standalones, which are, but they're all amazing, to be honest, uh, from 12 million. For, if, for people looking to invest and get some good rental yield, wh which of those options do you think you'd be getting most bang for your buck? Um, I think in terms, of, in terms of capital appreciation, I mean, you, you, you look at the bigger units. I mean, obviously, it's all about budget. But I mean, if, in terms of renting, whether it's, you know, long term to an, an executive who works for Siemens or Dubai, uh, World Central or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're going to pay a premium, or if it's you know on a short-term basis, you know, travellers and or people wanting to come and actually stay in Expo. You know, we, this is going to be an attraction for, for in Dubai for you know for the next 20, 30, 50 years. Well, consider me sold, poor Charlotte. Just need yes. to, I just need to find the. Find the, find the pennies down the back of the sofa. It would be a, a very good investment. <laughs> well, we'll talk, we'll talk during a bit of Madonna. Okay. And um, if you want Paul's details, you can just send me the word house. Um, you can spend, spell that as in house and house or house as in H-O-U-S-E. I'd be happy to connect you guys. Um, this is, of course, Expo City, huge for the off-plan division. And I have to say, looking around where we are now at Sky Residence is just a taste. It's very, very impressive indeed. been catching up with Paul Charlin there from House and House about buying off plan in Expo City Dubai as we broadcast live from Sky Residences. My goodness, the show apartment is absolutely stunning. People having a nosy around and I'm quite jealous to be honest, but Expo City is fast becoming an incredible destination for visitors and residents alike. Sustainable city of the future and Dalia Katan is the creative director of events and experiences. Probably one of the busiest women in Dubai because you've had a really packed calendar on sporting, on music, on social. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. This must be a dream job. I mean, what an opportunity, what a playground. It is. We have a lot of fun here. Now, I came at Christmas. Yes. And I nearly cried because it was so beautiful. <laughs> it yes. Was, it was just incredible. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the role that events play, really, in that legacy of Expo 2020? Because the setup just lends itself to having people here. How did you decide what you want to put on? So basically, since we launched Expo City, uh, which was in June 2022, um, we've slowly been transitioning from a kind of mega event to a fully functioning city where people work, people come play here, people come to events. And um, we've, we've had a lot of fun 
thinking about how to get people to come here mm-hmm. because after the expo finished it was sad here i remember the first day we came back to site after the event and we, the buzz was it just was, amazing yeah, then. it was so sad i remember we all walked in from our from our cars and we just looked around and there was no one walking after we were used to having the site filled with people and families and bikes and carts and everything and live music yes, and, and food and yeah pavilions and countries and guests and people wearing their traditional clothing and it was just magical during expo time so it was mm-hmm. super sad so we got we got into a room i have uh, i work for an amazing executive creative director amna bilhol who is beyond passionate about the city and the country and we sat in a room with our whole team and we started thinking of what the calendar was going to be like and winter city which is our christmas celebration is one of our major events that we host in I, the year. I don't know if you're on many mums groups. I am. In the I UAE. Am. Oh my goodness. Yes. The the tickets for Carol's, Carol's by, by Candlelight, Candlelight yes. were like gold dust. They sold out in minutes online and we had we got so many messages about opening up more shows. We ended up opening an extra two additional shows and those were sold out in I think in a matter of a day. Well, I was this is one the rare, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a rare smug moment yeah. where I got my tickets and I, because my mum and dad were in town and I wanted them to see Expo 2020 because we had our studio here and it was mm-hmm. such a special time and the kids loved it and I really wanted them to come and, and see this stage spectacular and it, and it really, really was. I mean, how you guys used... Wattle Dome for those projections. It was just incredible. You should be really proud. Honestly. Yeah, we, we were super happy with it. And actually, the, the decision to move Winter City into Al Wassel Plaza was something that we got from our visitors. So last year, the first year we launched Winter City, we had the event sprawled out over a larger kind of footprint in the mm-hmm. site. And people kept coming to us telling us, it's too big. We need it to be like smaller. It's so much walking. So we condensed <laughs> so everything. Too, too much walking. <laughs> we condensed everything into Al Wassel. And it was the best decision we did everything was beyond magical in there we had the snow 52 foot christmas tree we had carols by candlelight free workshops for the kids it was just santa santa he was amazing santa's amazing as was mrs claus yes so can we trust i'm not saying i want to get my tickets for candle candle but 2024 but we should be prime this is going to be an annual event and it's going to be bigger and better than last year so I hate to say what's next, but that's how events work. As soon as something's over, you're thinking the next Excel spreadsheet's coming out. Yes. Um, we know we've got Untold coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to come to some of the kind of the one-off events in a minute. But in terms of the regular things in the calendar yeah. here at Expo City, Dali, what, what, what have we got to look forward so to? So I want to say our like key I, like events that we host that are ours and our creations are Winter City, Hayramadan, which we'll host again this year, and what we're hosting right now, which is the first year of Vai Dubai, mm-hmm. which is a light art festival. Vai means light, and it is the first Rati-led light art festival ever and what's it going to look like paint us a picture it's it's running right now and um amna and anthony bastic who um is an amazing creative um he is the mastermind behind vivid sydney uh, noel and other mega events amna who is super passionate about emirati culture and narratives and journeys they've come together and kind of created this amazing event which we're running right now on site until the 4th of february and it's seven Emirati artists, um, light art installations, huge installations on site, and a full program of panel talks, workshops. We have a glow-in-the-dark skate park inspired by another Emirati artist, illustrator, digital content creator, and it's absolutely magical. It comes alive every day at 6 p.m. and it's Ooh, might hang around fun. till six o'clock. Chloe's yeah. looking. This is Chloe's first time. So Chloe's yes. new to Dubai, first time to Expo City, and I was like, your socks are yes. going to be completely blown off. Yeah. But I think I think what is so important to people that have lived here and, and you know we're here for Expo 2020 is that legacy, that sense of excitement yes. is kept alive. And I, I think, can we talk about food? Yes. Because that was a really big part yeah. of Expo 2020 for me. Yes. Um, because we had the opportunity to eat food from all over the world. And it became, I mean, there was a Facebook group set up mm. to Expo Eats yes. about... Oh, you know, you know, frites from Belgium. Oh my goodness, have you got a reservation for the Japanese pavilion? How did you do that? You know, a, a bread ahead. The queues were out of the door, and it became this hub of some place that we'd never had before. Never, you know, they were kind of testing the waters in the UA food market, mm-hmm. and now we've seen them setting up a permanent space, and now we've seen new places opening up 
in Expo City Dubai as well. I mean, Philly John we had on the yes. show a few weeks ago, just sharing their passion for smash burgers and Philly steak. And mm-hmm. you're obviously on site every day. Every day. What are some of your favorites? Every day we order from all of the, the places across site. And every day we are lucky because they keep adding to a long list of F&B options. So we always kind of, um, Philly John is one of my favorites. The mac and cheese, cheeseburgers, we order that all the time. Ooh. PDL is an amazing coffee shop on site. Rove always has good things. And they're always opening new and new and new. We still have Echo from Event Time fun- uh, operating on site. We order, We always order pizza from there. There's so many options to choose from, honestly. We're, we're lucky. And friends that live close by as well, mm. you know, scooting in to, you know, get some food at the weekend or popping out for a bite at night. And um, we've had a message here saying, what are the plans for Ramadan? Hey, Ramadan, again this year. This is going to be the second year of it launching. Um, we are going to have the Canon back this year. We'll have a retail market. We'll have uh, iftar and suhoor options. Um, a lot of storytelling in Al-Wasl. Hopefully Quest to Find the Moon, our show from last year, will be back and um, we're still going to build on it. So a lot of fun and exciting things I can't reveal yet, but soon. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> um, in terms of um, one-off events and international events that are you know, calling Expo City Dubai home, um, Untold, yes. huge. Huge. Where, when, any tickets left? So there are still tickets left. It's from the 15th to the 18th. They are fully taking over the whole site. So oh. every venue on site they're going to be in. They've taken Al-Wasl, Surreal. They've taken Jubilee, Fursan. Every wow. vacant area on site they have inhabited. And they have an amazing lineup. Um, this is the first time that we host something that's um, kind of this musical mega event here. Yeah. Post-Expo. So it's, it's amazing. How many people are you expecting through the gates? A lot. A lot. However... And I don't want to point fingers at any recent events in Dubai, but (laughs) I feel like this site is set up for access, for parking, for people. Yes. Is that fair? Yes. It's (laughs) honestly um, the accessibility to parking um, directly near most of our venues is it's it's a small walking distance. Mm -hmm. Um, Access to the metro to site is ideal. It's straight down Al-Wasl Avenue. Taxis, you can get taxis and kareems here very easily. So super easy access. Um, and most, I mean, the best thing for me as a mom is um, there's no cars on site. Yeah, scooting. So, scooting. My kids come here. They, I don't have to worry about anything. They're just out and about mm-hmm. causing a ruckus somewhere on mm-hmm. site. And um, I'm not worried about yeah. them. So and you bring dogs now as well. Yes, you can. Um, you've also got coming up um, the Spinney's 92 um, cycle challenge, yeah. which is going to be starting and finishing here for the first time as well. Um, and of course, we've seen so many events moving from Trade Center up to being on the expo site as well. Um, what else are you looking forward to in 2024, Dalia? So sports is a big one. It's something the city really wants to get behind. So we are we are trying to host as many sporting events as we can. And again, the site lends itself. The, the kind of space that we have everywhere is, is I mean, ideal for, for that. Again, the parking, the open grass areas, the running tracks, mm-hmm. the cycling tracks. So, I mean, we love supporting sports events. Um, hopefully we'll create new things, new exciting things for the community. We can't wait to have residents and people actually on the site the launch of mangrove the mangrove residences as well as sky residents just recently it's our dream to start seeing families here every day coming coming walking around enjoying uh, the parks and the grass areas that we have so well very excited about having them thank you for all the hard work that you and the team have been doing behind the scenes so we can come along and have an absolutely brilliant time um for anyone that wants to find out more Expo City Dubai website, um, absolutely fantastic. And as you said, it's happening right now. Uh, Dubai is on after six o'clock, coming alive. We might stick around for some photo opportunities. Um, thank you so much, Dalek Really, you. really appreciate Lovely. it. I'll see you on your scooter very soon indeed. <laughs> And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.